Hello everybody, my name is Mike Banker and I'd like to share with you tonight uh, techniques, prior resolution techniques. So you can turn to your syllabus on page 40. I'm going to be teaching some additional things to what you have in your book and so um, you'll just have to listen on. So I'd like to start out by talking about the heart of a safe helper. A safe helper has to have compassion for the one that they're helping. A good example of this from scripture is from Mark chapter 2 verse 3 and 4. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get him, get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, who let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And so in this verse we can see very clearly that these four men had great compassion on this friend. And so as safe helpers, we also have to have this kind of compassion. Do you have a heart for the one that's asked you for help? And once this hurting one is restored, they have the compassion and the patience to, to help others. So the first thing is compassion. You have to have um, a heart for the one that you're helping. Uh, the second one is a safe helper is non-judgmental. Now, as safe helpers, we judge behaviors. We have to identify what's sin and what's not. But we do not judge the person. God judges the person and not us. And so we do not condemn people. We judge behaviors. So from Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, I want God to judge me and measure me as a person, so then I have to let God be the judge of all other people and let him measure them also. I do not pronounce the judgment, the condemnation on any person. I only judge my behaviors and others' behaviors, not their person. I must judge between sinful and righteous behaviors in order to walk in righteousness. The third thing is the safe helper needs to be patient and gentle. We can see an example of this patience and this gentleness in um, the story of Job and his friends. His friends came and they sat down on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him for they saw his pain was very great. And so you can see that Job's friends had great patience and gentleness. They sat there seven days and seven nights. That's amazing. So we need to be patient and gentle like Job's friends. Unfortunately, though, later, even though Job's friends were not aware of any sin in Job, they judged him and tried to force him to confess sin even though he felt no guilt and no conviction. So when they 
later when they changed their ways, Job's response was, For the despairing man there should be kindness from his friend, so that he does not forsake the fear of the Almighty. So, jo- so God also rebuked Job's friends for what they did. So as safe helpers, we must not try to force confessions like Job's friends did. We need to be patient and gentle uh, with the one that we're helping. Confession is the hurting one's response to conviction from the Holy Spirit and from their own conscience. By listening and asking questions, safe helpers can help the hurting one recall the words, the actions, the feelings, the responses, and the effects. So a safe helper needs to be patient and gentle. A safe other also needs to be safe. And what do we mean by this word safe? We're trying to show the hurting one uh, that we can help. We're not trying to show our power over them. And God does not delight when those caring for his sheep look down on them. So from Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 4, Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, The scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. So God does not delight when those caring for his sheep look down on them. So as safe helpers, if God assigns us to care for them, and if we care for them carefully, they will not be afraid of us, and they will not run away from us. I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer nor be terrified nor will any be missing. Jeremiah 23, 4 So we should be safe. As safe helpers, we, we, as safe others, we help the hurting one hear God's voice, not our voice or some other voice. You see, they can hear God's voice. We know this from the story of the sheep pen, that the man who climbs over the fence into the sheep pen, that he's not the shepherd. And when the sheep hear his voice, they run. But when the sheep hear Jesus' voice, they go to him. When he calls their name, they go to him. And so they don't have a spirit of fear towards the one that's helping them. They have a sense of safety. They don't feel afraid. So um, as safe helpers, we must not share the things that the hurting one has told us with anyone else without their permission. They have to feel completely safe. Uh, If we do share it, it is not safe for the hurting one to tell us what happened anymore. And so we have to be, we have to hold our confidentiality. Mm. 
Okay, so that's the heart of a safe helper, a safe other. A safe other needs to be patient and gentle. A safe other needs to be non-judgmental. A safe other has to have compassion for the one that they're helping. And a safe other has to be safe. There shouldn't be fear in the hurting one. And so related to that then is we have to keep things in confidence with them. Okay, so let's move on then to um, talking about prayer resolution techniques. And so that on page 40, chapter 6, um, there's a list of techniques at the top. Um, so here's the thing is, when we do sessions with somebody, there's many different ways that we can approach the hurting one. There's different techniques that we can uh, apply. So for example, one technique is the analytical technique. And what we do here is we try to help the believer understand the background and the dynamics of the problem. But if we stop there, all we have is intellectual knowledge. There's no resolution. And if we stop there, the hurting one may just see themselves as victims of the circumstance or victims of the environment. So how does this work then? The hurting one shares their problem or issue and the safe helper helps them to analyze it by talking about it. And But just understanding it more clearly will not in itself resolve their problem. We, God resolves in response to prayer, but the things to include in their prayer may become more clear through analysis. Okay, the second example here on page 40 is the confrontational technique. Okay, so you can use this method, this approach with the hurting one to expose irresponsible behavior. But you might create an atmosphere in the session that it's very difficult for the Holy Spirit to work. Now, I'd suggest that this confrontational technique is not something you should use until you've established uh, trust uh, trust with your hurting one. So once you've built up enough trust, it may be possible to confront them if you need to. So a little bit more on, on confrontation. is um, So sometimes as a safe helper, we need to confront them. We need to confront the hurting one because they're unwilling to do their part in a session. They're not willing to take responsibility for their part in the session. This is the most common reason for confronting a hurting one. So it's their job to, to look for the source of their pain, to learn how to extend forgiveness and mercy, to learn how to confess and receive forgiveness, they also have to be willing to receive wholeness and healing through God. And if any one of these responsibilities they have 
isn't uh, being done, you may need to confront them. For example, a person might come to you and you talk about an incident in great detail. And then you say, okay, um, well, it seems like these are the things you have in your heart against them. These are the things you need to accuse them for in prayer. And they say, oh, I don't want to pray. So then you leave that incident. You go to another one. And after talking for a while, the same discussion is that, well, it seems like you have these things in your heart against them. Um, you should pray and accuse them in prayer. And they say, oh, I don't want to pray. So in this case, then, the the hurting one is not doing their part. Uh, we are not surgeons. The hurting ones don't lay on the table and we take out our scalpel and remove the tumor. They have responsibilities of their own that they have to fulfill. And if they don't, you may have to confront them. Now, don't use scripture to try to force them to change. Don't beat them over the head with your Bible. So, for example, there may be a scripture that comes to your mind and um, you that might apply in the situation. And so you should respect them enough to discuss the scripture verse with them, not try to force it on them. Another general rule is if you... Um, we have to be careful that we don't teach too much. Instead that we... Um, so sometimes it may be useful to, instead of teaching, to ask them a question. Let them discover uh, what's happening. So we need to be patient and gentle uh, in our use of Scripture. Now if you confront them forcefully it may break the trust that they have in you and they might stop meeting with you. So this is the main problem with the confrontational approach is that you could break the trust and that you're no longer safe and you've lost the opportunity to help them. Now, in fact, one time I broke that trust. I confronted them uh, in a session. I confronted a sister in a session and it was out of my own frustration. Um, we had met many times and we were just stuck. It just seemed like we couldn't get past uh, this one thing. And out of my own frustration, I confronted her and I broke our trust and she didn't come back for a session. In fact, she went to another safe helper and accused me and forgave me before God for the forceful way that I had, the disrespectful way that I had confronted her. And then after she had forgiven me, she decided to come back and finish sessions. But I've also had, I had one situation where I broke the trust with them and they never came back. And so you should use this confrontational approach very sparingly and if you feel like confronting them before you do, pray and ask God whether you should confront them or not. Make sure it's God directing you and not just your own uh, frustration. So in my experience, a forceful kind of confrontation is rarely used, is rarely necessary. 
A third technique on page 40 is uh, an empathetic technique. An empathetic technique. So, um, the safe helper affirms or rejects what the hurting one is feeling or thinking. This can give hope to the hurting one. But just helping bear the, their burden does not resolve the problem. So it's good, but it's not enough. So in this case, the hurting one shares their problem or their issue or their incident. And um, the safe helper affirms what they're feeling and what they're thinking. So this gives them hope. Gives them hope and they also feel cared for because you're carrying the burden together with them. But it will not resolve their problem all by itself. God resolves in response to prayer. So from Galatians 6.2 it says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, you might think that uh, it's always good to be empathetic. Well, not always. So one sister... You might think that it's always good to be empathetic, but sometimes it's not. So for example, a sister came uh, for a session with another sister and her colleague, and um, she just wailed and cried loudly for two hours nonstop. And the safe helper, no matter what they said or did, they couldn't um, break in. And they couldn't uh, uh, get the hurting one to focus. And so at the end of the session, the the safe helper said that um, uh, next time bring your mind also. And then she asked the sister, why did you carry on like this? And she said, well, I read somewhere that um, if you express your emotion, that, uh, that it, this will heal you. So does, is that true? Well, it may give you some temporary relief, but it does not resolve your problems. It's God's response to prayer that resolves these problems. And so I don't recommend that you sit there for two hours and, and listen to somebody wailing. There was a very strong sense of defilement. She, the safe helper felt very defiled that she wouldn't um, put any trust in God, basically, and just continue to um, cry the whole time. Okay, so that's uh, the empathetic, empathetic technique. Another way you can approach the hurting one, another technique, is the directive technique. So in this case, it's up to the burden bearer to define the issues and the solutions. It's a very efficient way to deal with um, the hurting one's problems, but uh, sometimes the hurting one 
perceives the safe other to be judgmental and not to have really listened to them. So in this approach then, um, the safe helper is directing the discussion about the problem or the issue or the incident. And it is efficient, but as I mentioned, the hurting one may feel like they're not being listened to, they're not being understood, or even that they're, they may feel judged. So it's more important to be thorough than it is to be efficient. And directing the discussion will not solve their problem. It's God's response to prayer that solves the problem. But sometimes by directing the discussion, the hurting one can see more clearly what they need to pray. But not always. For example, I was being very directive and I was asking questions and, you know, and they're um, one after another. And I noticed that the hurting one uh, seemed to be closing up or shutting down in response. So I said, so it doesn't seem like... uh, me asking questions is very helpful to you. They said, no, you're just like my mother. She always does that. She just asks questions after questions. She doesn't really listen to me. And so so in this case, then, um, it wasn't helpful to be directive. It was more helpful um, to let them lead the discussion. So that's the um, non-directive technique. The non-directive technique uh, is where it's where the safe helper just lets the hurting one talk about their problem or their issue or their incident, and the safe helper isn't trying to direct the discussion. And the hurting one just speaks it out. And some people, they process by speaking out. And so this can be very useful, especially for them. Um, And as they speak it out, the things they need to include in their prayer become more and more clear. Now the problem with letting, letting the hurting one lead the discussion is that um, it's, you can get lost or overwhelmed with all the information. So the safe helper has to be especially sensitive to the Holy Spirit if you're going to use this technique so that you know uh, what to focus on or where to begin um, when it comes time to pray. Now again, um, just talking about it brings a temporary kind of relief. Uh, it does not resolve their problem. It's God's response to their prayer that will resolve this, their problem, and resolve it permanently. You may have met people who, or have friends or acquaintances that tell you the same story again and again and again. Why do they do that? Well, they feel 
a sense of relief. They feel a sense of um, a temporary sense of uh, relief by telling their story. But wouldn't it be better if they didn't have to keep telling that story again and again and again? So just speaking it out, though it's good to speak it out, it's not enough to resolve it. It's only God's response to prayer that will resolve it. All right, so that's the different ways you can approach uh, the hurting one. And if you get stuck, you feel like things are just not progressing, uh, you may might want to consider changing how, uh, the way you are approaching uh, the hurting one. For example, um, an analytical person, um, you'd say, oh, well, analysis would be the best method for them. Yeah, but if the analytical person, everything's just in their head, they can't connect with what was in their heart. Uh, at the time of this incident, then it may not be a a good method because their feelings give their thoughts perspective. And so it's useful for them to get in touch with their feelings and their analysis might in fact get in the way. So what is the best approach? Which one of these techniques is the best one? Well, you have a personal preference as a safe helper, and they probably have a personal preference as a hurting one. But each method has its strength and its weakness. Each technique has its strength and weakness. So I want to suggest that as safe others that you should develop all of these techniques not just settle on the one that you're most comfortable with. And I I realize that uh, many of you have problems maybe being confrontational, but I want to suggest that sometimes that is the best approach also. It depends on the incident, depends on the person. There's a lot of things that can affect which technique you use at a given time. Uh, you might use one te- technique more at the beginning and other techniques more at the end as you develop uh, trust um, and so on. So anyway, you should be open to using any of these methods according to the circumstance that you find yourself in. At the bottom of page 40, it says some considerations. So as we're doing uh, sessions, there's some things that we should keep in mind that uh, will help us to be effective. One is the one that we're working with has to trust us. If they don't, then it's just not going to work. And so there has to be this, some reason they trust us. One easy way to know that they trust us is that they come to us. We don't go to them. We don't solicit them to do sessions. They come to us. That shows that they trust us. Now, here's an example. My wife had an issue and uh, I said, I can help you. I'm a safe other. She said, no. 
I said, um, not only have safe helper, I'm, I'm a teacher. I can help you, really. And she said, no. I said, oh, come on. I can help you. And she said, no, you're the problem. You see, so uh, we may not have that uh, trust even with those close to us because we're the problem that they need to deal with. And so uh, we can't help everybody. You can only help those that you have the sense of trust, that have a sense of trust in you. The second one I talked about already is um, they have to see us as non-judgmental, non-judgmental. Uh, you can show your judgment not just with your mouth, but in our facial expressions or our body language too. So we have to be careful. Uh, another thing to, to know or to be aware of is what their Christian orientation is. Now, we have our own uh, church background and our own theological beliefs, uh, but we're not trying to convert them theologically to our view. Um, we need to respect their tradition and their approach, but it is useful to know uh, what their Christian orientation is. It might help us understand uh, some hindrances they may have in working together or things that might be difficult. Um, our focus is not on theology as such. Our focus is on healing, but in that process, of course, there are some theological uh, discussions that occur. Now, I personally don't use this word theology because it kind of stirs up a hornet's nest, or can. I prefer to um, use examples that we can agree on that show theological principles, but I never use the word theology because it can it can create problems, uh, especially if your theology is a little different than theirs. Our focus, though, is on healing. There's a lot of theological issues that have nothing to do with healing, and so we should avoid those discussions. Um, it's useful to have a personal history. This gives us a context for the incidents and issues, problems that we're discussing. And um, so we're going to talk about taking a personal history in more detail uh, in a future class. Uh, we can also just, we just need to pay attention. We need to observe as we get to know them, as we meet together in sessions. What kind of attitude do they have? Is it submissive or rebellious or disbelieving? What kind of expectations do they have of life? Do they have hope or dread or faith? You can also notice things like their habits as far as how they dress and the colors they wear and, and so on. Um, yeah, what is their spiritual condition? Are they growing? Are they childlike in their faith? Are they ignorant of spiritual things? What are their relationships like? 
with others. Um, these are things we can observe through our discussion and observe using our eyes and our ears. Okay. All right. Um, <clears throat> so after we have a personal history and some of these insights, we can start to identify what the main issues are. It's rare that there's just one issue. Usually there's many, but some are bigger than others. Some of the rocks are bigger than others. And so by having a context from their personal history, knowing what their Christian orientation is, uh, observing them, their attitudes and habits. Uh, these things might help us define a basic direction. And we need to present these issues and incidents to the Father in prayer and seek his direction on how the order and how we should deal with these things. Um, and you should keep in mind, though, that what they think the main issue is may not be the main issue at all. I think a really common example of this is um, most marriage problems were there before they ever got married. So they think that their problem is their spouse, but in fact... They learned how to be a spouse themselves and what to expect from their spouse, from their own parents. And so there might be, this might be the source of the problem, is that they are modeling unrighteous behavior of their own parents. And so um, you need the Holy Spirit to guide you, not just your own intellect, as you decide the order uh, that the order that you're going to deal with these incidents or issues. Now, when it comes to taking breaks during the session, the session is usually three to four hours. And you try to take breaks at a good stopping point. And you try to resolve the incident or issue that you're dealing with the same day if you can. You, the general rule is you don't take a break unless it's a good stopping point. Uh, however, sometimes you may have to break even though it's not the I ideal time. Okay, page 42. So, our basic principle when it comes to sessions is we want to... Um, resolve the issue that we've opened up, we want to resolve it the same day that we opened it up. We don't want to um, carry it any longer than we have to. And so if you set aside three to four hours for a session, it's our experience that that will be enough time to, to handle most issues. Um, sometimes you need more time Sometimes you come to a, a good break point, uh, you know, before three hours is up. 
maybe at two hours even, that you have a good break point. Um, so as far as our attitudes is we have to keep in mind that the Father is the focus, that they're praying to their Heavenly Father as his children and that we're trying to see things with his perspective. Also keep in mind that it's because of Jesus that we can walk boldly into the Father's presence. It's Jesus that provides the avenue. It's also Jesus that reconciles us to the Heavenly Father. Jesus is also our great high priest. But here's the key point, is that they don't pray to Jesus. They pray to the Father. Jesus did not come to replace the Father. He, brought, he came to reconcile us with the Father. So when we, we pray to the Father through Jesus... Uh, and that's how we that's how we do it. The Holy Spirit is our guide. We need to keep in mind that it's our whole, the Holy Spirit that is our guide. We're supposed to have the mind of God, the mind of Christ, and so we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. We need to put our power and our authority as a safe other under the direction, under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that provides insight and direction. So one of the things that happens as you're doing sessions as a safe helper is you become more and more aware of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. But not just you become more and more aware the hurting one does also. And so does your colleague, your co-worker uh, doing the sessions. Uh, the Holy Spirit can work through either of the two safe helpers in the, se in the session. So we should be willing to and open uh, to letting the other one jump in or to speak. Okay, last one is keep in mind that we are the children of God, but we don't have the power to do this in ourself. The power that we have comes from God, and it comes through the cross, through Christ's life, his suffering, his death and resurrection. And so it can be misused. And so it's very important as safe others that we put ourselves under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We are channels. God has given us this work to do. We are his sons and daughters, so we have been given this work to do. But that power comes from him.
Okay, so I think that kind of sums up the uh, teaching then on uh, prayer resolution techniques um, and and the different considerations when we do a session. Doing sessions is the best job in the world. You get a front row seat. You get to see God work and transform this person's life. And it happens right in front of your eyes. And you do hear the hard things, but that's not all you hear. You also see the joy and even sometimes even their countenance on their face changes right in front of you. And so it's very delightful. Each person you work with, though, is unique. And so the way you approach them, the way you approach this person might be much different than the way you approach the next one. We have to adapt as safe others. We need to adapt to the hurting one. So, okay. Well, thank you for your time today. I hope you found that useful.